Well, good morning. Good to be with you. My name is Bran, and I'm one of the pastors here at River City. Glad to have you guys here this morning. Uh, just especially if you're a guy, I just want to invite you. Men's breakfast coming up. It's going to be great. The high V bacon is incredibly good. Like, it's like the thick cut stuff that makes you want to go back. Oh, man, it's just, it's fantastic. Anyways, that was my plug for high V bacon and the men's breakfast. You should totally come. It'd be good, right? Um, but uh, this morning here, we are on the front end of a series. We're going through the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to be spending most of this year uh, just going verse by verse, taking through the, looking through the Gospel of Matthew together. And, and the reason why we do that, that's pretty natural. We, usually we don't spend that, uh, that long of a time going through something, but Matthew's a long book, and so we don't want to just skip over a lot of it. And, and so our heart really is that God's Word would be really the thing that informs and transforms our time together, and so we want to put ourselves under the authority of God's Word and let God's Word be the thing that really directs our time together. And so that's where we're headed this coming year. But this morning, we are in the second half of, half of chapter 4 in the book of Matthew. And, and we're taking a look this morning at the very beginning of Jesus's public ministry. And after getting baptized and being proclaimed as the Messiah by John the Baptist, and then the heavens open and like the voice of God booms down and says, Jesus, this is my son, this is who I'm well pleased. All right, so then Jesus heads off into the wilderness, and, and we pick up the story this week as Jesus is emerging uh, victorious over temptation out of the wilderness, and he's getting ready to begin his public ministry, what's going to kind of be the, the part of his life that, we all, that, that the, the Gospels really focus on. And one of the very first things that we see him doing is calling the first few disciples. It's one of the very first things Jesus does is he calls disciples to follow him. And as we pick up the story this week, what we're going to see is is not just a biography about these first few disciples. And it's not just a historical timeline of what happened in the early days of Jesus' ministry. Instead, what we're going to see this morning in God's Word is a pattern that's going to get repeated over and over and over again throughout the Gospel of Matthew. It's, it's a pattern. It's a, it's a paradigm. And it hinges on our response. It hinges on a response to two incredibly simple words. Two words that simultaneously will direct and disrupt our entire lives. Jesus' words, he says, follow me. So with that in mind this morning, let's pray and we'll dive into God's word together. Jesus, as we come together this morning, what we say is we need you. We need you to be the one that leads and guides and directs our time. And we need you to be the one that, God, that uh, fills me with your spirit so that our, our teaching is worthwhile and valuable and good and has power and merit and And God, as well, we need you to fill us with your spirit so that we'd be able to hear and respond to you. And so, God, we are dependent on you this morning as we come study your word. And God, we ask, God, for our good, for your glory, would you help us to see who you really are? Help us to see who we really are. God, help us to see what it looks like for us to follow you. And God, may that bring life and joy and glory to you. God, we pray these things in your good name. Amen. Amen. We're in Matthew chapter 4. We're in verses 12 through 18 this morning or 18 through 22, sorry. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. 
Before I was a, a pastor here at River City, uh, I worked on staff for a college campus ministry called InterVarsity for about seven or so years. And, and uh, one of the most prevalent questions that I saw students asking over and over again, never failed, every year, was the question about calling. What, what, is, what's the, what is the calling of my life? What am I supposed to do? What direction am I supposed to go? Where am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? And I, I asked those same questions too. I spent the majority of my freshman and sophomore years of college asking those questions. I knew after about 13 seconds in Calc 2 that there was not a chance in God's green earth that I was ever going to be an engineer. I just had no idea what else I was supposed to do. And I saw countless other students asking those questions as well. And whether they were freshmen who were trying to figure out what their major should be or seniors who were about to graduate trying to figure out what they should do with the major that they had, this question lured over, it it just seemed like it loomed over everyone. What, What are we supposed to be doing with our lives? You see, we are all looking for direction in our lives. And whether we want to be the ones who find it ourselves or we just want somebody else to tell us what we are supposed to be doing with our lives. You see, all of us, we are looking for direction. We are looking for meaning and purpose. We are looking for where we were meant to be and what we were meant to do with our lives. We want the answers to those questions. And for most of us, that, the question of calling and direction, it is often inextricably wrapped up with the question about career. You see, the only thing we do more in our lives than sleep is work. You see, we, we do all kinds of things to find out what our career should be. We take these aptitude tests, and we do internships, and we do job shadowings, and all this kind of stuff, and we go to college, and we find out all these kinds of things, and we think oftentimes if we could just figure out the career that perfectly matches us, this, the job that just fits our giftings perfectly, then everything else in life, it would just fit into place. Everything else would make sense. It'd just be kind of like that click moment. But as we're going to study this morning, what we're going to see is that that sense of calling that we are all looking for, that sense of direction that we are all longing for, it's not going to be found in figuring out the right career that we are supposed to pursue. See, it's found in figuring out how we're going to respond to someone who has pursued us. It's in figuring out how we're going to respond to Jesus' pursuit of us, his call for us to follow him. You see, see the direction that we are looking for, the calling that we are looking for in our lives is really Jesus' calling to follow him. And it's a call that simultaneously, it directs our lives. It gives incredible clarity about the direction of our lives, but it radically disrupts our lives as well. You see, it's a calling that it gives direction and purpose. It gives the direction that we are looking for and longing for. But it's a calling that foundationally disrupts our lives as well. And you see, it's only when we understand who is calling us and who we are that we're going to be able to respond like the men in this passage did. That they would leave everything and they would follow him. You see, before we can embrace the life-giving direction that Jesus has called to follow him and be his disciples gives us, We're going to need to count the costs, and we're going to need to see what it really means to follow him and to be his disciples. You see, the call to follow Jesus is one that foundationally disrupts our lives in order to direct them. See, you can't get the direction without the disruption. You can't get Jesus' direction without the disruption that his words bring. And so this morning as we study, I just want to highlight two, two especially key ways that Jesus' call to follow us, that it disrupts our lives. 
You see, Jesus' invitation to these men, these four men, it radically disrupted two of the most significant parts of their lives and two of the most significant parts of anyone's lives who's going to be called to follow Jesus. And the the first thing that we see in our passage this morning is that Jesus' call to follow him, it radically disrupts their careers. It radically disrupts their careers. Verses 18 through 20, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon and Peter, and Simon and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, and for they were fishermen. And he said, come follow me, Jesus said. I'll send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. You see, what an introduction that is. Hey, hey, hey guys, why don't you come follow me? I've got an incredible job opportunity for you. It's kind of like what you're doing now, except not really in any meaningful way whatsoever. It's actually totally different, Okay. You know how you guys like fishing, you know, for fish? How about I teach you how to fish for people? I'm not talking about catfishing. That's a different thing, right? That's a whole, whole different thing altogether, right? You know, thanks for that. <laughs> you see, out of nowhere, out of nowhere, Jesus calls these guys to get up their careers to follow him. But his invitation to leave their careers is not just about leaving their jobs, It was a call to leave their security and their possessions and their comfort, to lay down that stuff. You see, they had good jobs. If you were a fisherman in Galilee, you probably made significantly more money than the average person did in Galilee. That was a really good career. You see, their new job, let's just put it this way, it wasn't a financially lucrative move for them, right? Their their retirement investor guy, he wasn't fist-pumping this change for them, Okay? Not only that, they were leaving a good-paying job, they were leaving their possessions as well. It says that Peter and Andrew, they left their nets. It says James and John, they left their boat. You see, they're not just leaving their job, they're leaving their possessions, they're leaving the, the means by which they even earn a money. And lastly, you see that they, they're leaving their comfort. They knew how to be fishermen. I guarantee you these dudes had no idea, not only what it meant to fish for people, but how you would even go about doing that. You see, their call for Jesus to follow him for these guys, it radically disrupted their careers. It was a call to leave what they knew to follow the one who would know them and know everything. You see, and the same is true for everyone who desires to be a disciple of Jesus. You see, not everybody is going to be called to leave their jobs, although some will. Not everyone is going to be called to leave their jobs and to radically change careers, but some of you will. I remember in, in college there was a... When I was on staff with InterVarsity, there was a guy that I met. He was, a, he was the IT director at a Fortune 500 company, and he left that job to run the IT department for InterVarsity at the time. I think his pay cut was like something like 20 times. He left an incredibly good job. He did because he felt like what needed to happen is that resources needed to be given towards the advancing of the kingdom on college campuses. You see... Some of you will be called to leave your jobs and to leave your careers. Most of you won't, though. For all, of us, for all of us, though, choosing to follow Jesus means that the pursuit of our career, the pursuit of that promotion that you want for, the pursuit of that position that you think will really be the next thing on the ladder up the career chain, it's no longer the driving force of your life. You see, one pastor writes, in a world where everything revolves around self, the world says promote yourself, protect yourself, preserve yourself, take care of yourself. He says, Jesus tells us to slay ourselves. You see, the invitation of Jesus is not to make much of ourselves, it's to make much of him. And that might cause us to lay down everything. It means that the pursuit of our career cannot be the driving force of our life. 
You see, being a disciple of Jesus means that your career doesn't revolve around what you want to do and where you want to go. You see, it revolves around whatever Jesus calls you to do and however he directs you to proclaim the good news about his kingdom in the context that he has sent you into. Like I said, for some of you, that will mean leaving your career and doing something different. Maybe that will mean full-time vocational ministry. But for the vast majority of us, what that means is seeing ourselves as sent into the places that God has called us to work. And not seeing our role there as to earn money or our role there as to, as to advance our career, but our role there as to be Jesus' sent commissioned ambassadors. Let me just give you a little secret here. Seeing your primary calling as being an ambassador of King Jesus wherever you go, that is incredibly freeing. You see, because it means that finding that elusive, perfect job, that's not the end. And it's never going to be the thing that really satisfies. You see, it means that your career, it, it doesn't need to be your passion. In fact, what science research really tells us is that when you merge your career, your job, and your passion, a lot of times it ruins both of those things. The research, the research says that oftentimes when you merge those things, it ruins both of them for people. You see, when your primary calling is to be sent as Jesus' people, as his ambassadors to make him known in your workplace, that allows your job to be just that. It's not just to be just a job. Just one of the places that you are invited to live out your true calling as a follower of Jesus, to be a fisher of men in the places that he has sent you. And I would just say this, additionally, the call to follow Jesus means that we, as followers of him, we cannot live for possessions and comfort. You see, we need to live for eternal treasure rather than earthly treasure. And that could mean selling your stuff and giving it away. Now, we don't have a theology of poverty here at River City Church. There's nothing in the Bible that says if you are poor, you are more holy. In fact, there's nothing that says anything about however much money you have being, and have anything to do with your holiness or, or your status before God. But it is an invitation for us to say that we must hold loosely to the stuff of this world. And instead, we must hold tightly to Jesus. You see, what we do with our money and what people do with their money is one of the main areas where people who call themselves Christians often reveal that they're not actually followers of Jesus. You see, what you do with your money, it often reveals for people, even if you call yourself a Christian, that you don't actually follow him. You see, Scripture teaches unequivocally, it teaches, it teaches with authority that we are called to give generously. Not just to give generously, but to give first, to give our first and our best back to the Lord. You see, a lot of times what people say is, God, you can have my time, you can have my talent, but keep your hands off my treasure. You see, and if, you, if we are not people who give generously, you see, there's no percentage, there's no amount that the Bible says what generous means. It just says to give generously. You see, if we are not a people who are characterized by giving generously, it reveals a lot about the God that we are really worshiping. And I just want to say this. If you think that me talking about money is a, like an attempt to manipulate you to give your money here at River City, then I would just urge you to obey Jesus and give it somewhere else, okay? Because we don't like need your finances. Jesus doesn't need that from you. But Jesus is longing for your obedience, and it's a life-giving call that he has in store for you. I just might encourage you, though, this way. You see, I would encourage you to stop deceiving yourself that you are really following Jesus 
if you refuse to obey him and let him be the Lord over your finances. If he is the king of everything, but not your money, he is the king of nothing at all. And so Jesus' call to follow him is a call that radically disrupts our careers and everything that goes with it. It's a call that radically disrupts our our careers and our finances and our security and our comfort and, and where we're headed but also it's a call that disrupts the most significant, one of the other most significant parts of our lives, and that's our relationships. You see, verse 21 and 22, going on from there, he says, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and they were in a boat, and their father Zebedee, and they were preparing their nets, and Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. You see, James and John, it says that they leave their father to follow Jesus. Family is important to all of us. But you and I, we don't really know the first thing about how important family is like the ancient world did. Family was like on a next level kind of, kind of situation in the ancient world. You see, family was, it was your most, it was your everything. It was your safety. It was your security. Your generations of families often lived together and supported one another. It wasn't just like you had your, your just close to internal family. It was far more important and far more far-reaching than that. And so for these guys to leave their father and their family business was almost unheard of. And Jesus' call to him, you see, his call for these men to follow him, it is a call that requires an absolute allegiance. You see, he must be the one who holds the ultimate sway in our lives. Not our family, not our parents, not your spouse, not your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You see, Jesus refuses to play second fiddle to anyone. You see, most of us, again, most of us will not literally lose our father and our mother over Jesus. Some might, but that's going to be pretty uncommon. But we will all have moments where we'll be forced to decide whose opinion holds the greatest sway in our lives. Is that going to be what your parents think? Is it going to be what your spouse thinks? Is it going to be what your kids think? Is it going to be what your significant other thinks? Is it going to be, or is it going to be what Jesus thinks? Is it going to be Jesus and his calling, or is it going to be someone else whose words and opinions and approval hold the thing of sway in your life? You see, for some of you, what is keeping you from following Jesus and actually choosing to pursue him is that your family or your significant other, you're thinking, what will they think if I really choose to follow Jesus? Will they accept me if I choose that? Will will I have to break up with that person? what, What will happen in this relationship? What will happen to these things? And maybe you hear Jesus' call to follow him and you are saying to yourself, not yet. Jesus, I'm, I'm not ready. This person is not ready for me to choose to follow you yet. I don't know what will happen with that, and you need to hear this. Saying not yet to Jesus is the same thing as saying no. Jesus calls an invitation that must be responded to. It's an invitation that must be responded to. You see, the call to follow Jesus is a call to total surrender and absolute allegiance See, these guys, they they leave everything to follow Jesus. They leave their careers and their livelihoods and their security and their possessions and their comfort, and they leave their families. They leave the most significant relationships in their lives. And embracing that kind of disruption in your life, that sounds pretty crazy. It it, it sounds like leaving everything behind and laying down everything to follow this dude that you you barely know. That sounds pretty insane. It sounds crazy unless you realize who Jesus is and who you are. 
You see, Matthew has spent the first four chapters of his gospel announcing, proclaiming, heralding to us who this Jesus is, who is the me of the follow me. Matthew has been heralding this. He says that Jesus is the Savior and the Messiah. He is the promised king from the line of David, and he is the promised blessing of the nations from Abraham, the father of Israel. Jesus is fully human, fully divine. He is Emmanuel, God literally with us. He is the one to whom wise men from all nations come to worship. He is the one to whom kings bow down and worship. He is the one whose birth is the culmination of generations and generations of prophecy and anticipation. He says he is the Savior of the world. He is the the one who has conquered sin and death. He is the righteous judge. He is the perfect substitute, the only one who has ever overcome temptation. He is the true son that we could never be. You see, in Matthew 4.16, concludes it all and says that he is the light of the world. You see, and the question is, do we realize who he is? Do we realize who is inviting us to follow him? You see, this is God in the flesh saying, follow me. That's got to soak into our hearts. That truth has got to soak in. David Platt, he writes this, we need to feel the wonder and the weight of the one who is offering this invitation. You see, but we must also see the wonder and the weight of who Jesus is offering his invitation to. He offers it in this passage to four fishermen from Galilee, Unfortunately, some, some commentators, they, they try to do this dance around like why Jesus would pick fishermen and what are the qualities of fishermen that would make them good disciples. And, and that's just basically entirely missing the whole point. You see, Jesus didn't pick these guys because of anything that they brought to the table. In fact, Jesus picked them in spite of everything they brought to the table. You see, these guys, they are not the A team. They are not the B team. They're barely even wrapping up the C team. You see, at age five, all Hebrew boys, they went to Torah school and they learned the first five books of the Bible. And and at age 10, there's this weeding out process and only the very best students were allowed to continue on and they would study the rest of the Old Testament and the rest would just go home and be a part of their father's business. And if you made that first cut, then you'd go on and you'd learn. And at age 17, there was another cut and and you had to decide what was really going to happen after that. And, And if you made that second cut, you'd go find a rabbi and you'd go sit at his feet and, you'd, and you'd, you'd ask him if he would let you be his disciple. And the rabbis, they were incredibly picky because being a religious leader in Jesus' day was the best possible of all jobs. And so they would give incredibly difficult tests and it was very difficult to actually become a disciple of a rabbi. But what we see here is that these guys, they are not coming looking for Jesus. You see, Jesus has come looking for them. They are not worthy of being his disciples. They are not qualified. They have not passed the tests. His offer is what makes them worthy to be his disciples. You see, they are not the A team. They are not even the B team. This is the C team. These are the Jewish boys who didn't make it past the first cut. What's more, that these guys are from Galilee. Galileans were seen as lower class, rural, commoners, nobodies, not well respected, certainly not from the religious elite. You see, and this is who Jesus extends his invitation of discipleship to. You see, I got cut from every single basketball team I ever tried out for from sixth grade on. Everyone I got cut. I wasn't even close. This invitation is like Michael Jordan sending me an email and being like, hey, I want you to be in my NBA championship roster for my forthcoming out of retirement season, right? You see, just like there is absolutely no reason MJ should be recruiting me for his team, there is nothing. There is nothing about these guys that should cause Jesus to be drawn to them. 
You see, Jesus does not need them. He does not need their following. He does not need their approval. They needed him. See, and the truth is that we do too. Because like these guys, we are nobodies. We are commoners. There is nothing about us that should draw Jesus towards us. And worse than that, we are not just nobodies. We are rebellious nobodies. We are sinners to the core. And this is the beauty of the gospel. You see that Jesus, the creator and the king of the universe, he takes the initiative to choose us, to choose people who are, whose only remarkable quality is our ability to be rebellious sinners. And he chooses to pursue us and to offer us life in him. And see, and Jesus does, a, does that so that he would get all of the glory for using unqualified and unprepared and ordinary people to do incredible things that they could never do by themselves. You see, and that's what he did with these four guys. You see, Jesus used them and they changed the world. There are millions of people this morning that are worshiping him, billions over the, over the millennia. You see, and Jesus used four fishermen who had nothing about them that was worth being chosen. But Jesus called them out of his grace and out of his mercy. See, and the truth is that Jesus does that all the time. He does that all the time. You see, when we see the wonder and the weight of who Jesus is and who we really are, there's only one conclusion that's going to be possible for us to respond to his offer of following. See, like Peter and Andrew and James and John, with, with joy, when we understand who Jesus is, when we see who he is, with joy we will leave everything to follow him. We'll be like the guy in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells us, who, 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 was, who found a treasure in a field, and with joy he sold everything he had to buy this one field. Because like him, what we will know is that we have found something worth losing everything for in Jesus. We have found someone worth losing everything for in him. You see, because like this guy, we will know that Jesus is better than any career or comfort or possession. And he is, his approval and his acceptance are better than the approval or the acceptance of anyone else. You see, the direction that we're looking for, the, the calling that we are looking for, that, that sense of meaning and purpose, it is not a somewhere, it's not a something, it's a someone. And his name is Jesus. You see, he is the one who has made us. He is the one who sustains our existence. He is the one who holds all things together, and he is the one who has come to save us. You see, when we realize who Jesus is and who we are because of him, you see the passion of your heart, the longing of your heart, it's going to be to pursue others as Jesus has pursued you. You see, you won't be able to keep from longing for your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers to come and follow Jesus. You see, showing them that he is better, inviting them to follow him. You see, every disciple is a disciple maker. Every follower is meant to be a fisher of men. It's the calling of every disciple to make more disciples. It's the, at the heart of the vision of this church that we would be a church that makes disciples. And, and what making disciples means is it, it means both helping others to find their identity in Jesus, to choose to follow him, and helping others to grow up in their identity in Jesus. And you need to hear this. It's not one or the other. The call to be people who make disciples is a call to both. And it is the natural overflow of becoming a disciple. You see, making disciples is the natural response when we become disciples ourselves. When the gospel of Jesus, when his offer and his identity become good news to us. 
You see, and if you are here this morning, you're thinking, I have no idea how to do that, or even I, I cannot do that. You are right, you can't. But Jesus can, and he's the one who's called you to do it, and neither could these four fishermen, and Jesus used them to change the world. You see, you are not capable, you are not qualified, neither am I. Oh, but Jesus is. And he is the one who is calling us to follow him. You see, there is nothing more life-giving than living for the glory of King Jesus by making disciples. I promise you that. There is nothing more life-giving. There are a lot of things that are easier, but there is nothing more life-giving than that. You see, the reason it's so life-giving is because every time you get to tell other people about Jesus, you're getting to tell yourself again. That's why it's such incredibly life-giving. You see, and that's what we're doing in communion every week. You see, what we do when we take communion is that we're telling the story about the gospel to one another, reminding ourselves about the gospel together every week. See, communion, it's a reminder that the bread and the drink, they remind us of Jesus' body which was, and his blood, which were broken for us and shed for us as he lived the life that you and I were supposed to live and as he died the death that our sinful rebellion deserved to die and as he paid the penalty for our sins so that we might be forgiven and accepted and made right with God. You see, what we're doing is we're proclaiming the gospel, reminding ourselves of who Jesus is and who we are because of him. That's what we're doing in communion. Communion, it doesn't make you right with God. It does not save you. It is the outward sign of what's going on in our hearts. And so if we have trusted Jesus and if you have believed the gospel, if, if Jesus is the king that you have surrendered your life to, then during our time of worship, go back and take communion. There's a table on the left and on the right and you... During our time of worship, as you see fit, you go back and you dip the bread in the juice, and, and that's how you take communion. But I just need to pause here for a moment. You see, you don't, you don't need to be a member here in order to take communion. You just need to belong to Jesus. And there are some of you here this morning, you do not belong to him. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home. Maybe you went to church all your life. Maybe you have called yourself a Christian but you have never actually surrendered to Jesus. You have never actually given him authority over all of your life. Maybe it's your career or your spouse or your significant other. Maybe it's your family that's keeping you from saying yes to Jesus and letting him disrupt your life so that he might direct your life. Maybe you've just never realized who he really is. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a religious fiction a religious figure. He's not just one of many. You see, Jesus is the one. He is Emmanuel, God with us, the God of the universe, the one who has created all things, who has become flesh, and he is extending an invitation to follow him. I see there are some of you here this morning, and you have not seen it, and you have not understood who he is, and you have not responded to his call to lay your life down and follow him. And I have been praying this week for you. I have been longing this week that God might be gracious by his spirit to shine light on who Jesus really is, on who you really are, on your desperate need for him and on his abundant offer of life to you. You see, it is not an invitation to smooth sailing. It is not an invitation to easy living. But it is absolutely an invitation to true life. 
And you see David Platt again, he writes this, followers of Jesus don't always know the details about where they are going, but they always know who. They always know who they are going with, and that is enough. You see, the invitation to follow Jesus is not one of easy living. It is not one in where everything in life makes sense. But it is one in which the king of the universe who rules and reigns over everything is walking with you. And that is the best place to possibly be. You see, he is enough. You can leave your most significant relationships for him. You can lay them down at his feet. You see, Jesus is enough. You can lay down your career and your possessions and your goals and your security and your comfort and your pursuits. You can lay those things down at his feet because what Jesus has promised is that, is that in Matthew 29, everyone who leaves, who has left houses and brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and wives and children and fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. You see, he is he is better than anything we could possibly cling to. He is more than anything we could possibly long for. And he is calling each of us to follow him. See, the invitation for all of us this morning is to follow Jesus, to surrender our lives to him, our careers and our pursuits and our passions to surrender our, uh, the sway in which anyone else holds over him to lay those things down at his feet and say, Jesus, might you be the one who rules and reigns in every corner of my life. You see, what it means to be a disciple is that you've given Jesus control of those things, but more than that, it means that every day you walk with him and Jesus, every minute of every day, he is taking ownership of the things you have given to him. You see, his offer is one in which there can be no asterisks. But it's also one that Jesus, inch by inch, day by day, that he takes authority over. It is a gracious leadership. It is a good leadership. He is a good king to follow. And so might we be a people who see him for who he really is? Might we be a people who see ourselves for who we really are? And might he be a people who, by his grace, choose to follow him. And instead of making much of ourselves, make much of him. That we might let his identity and our identity in him be the thing that fuels our passion for him. And our love for him and our joy in him and our obedience to him and our desperate longing for our friends and our neighbors and our family and our coworkers come to know and love and follow him. To that end this morning, let us pray and worship. Jesus, we come this morning, God, as, as rebellious nobodies, God, who do not deserve for you to, to choose us, who do not deserve your invitation of life, who do not deserve the offer that you have extended, but we come as a people who long to graciously receive. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would cause us to be a people, God, who joyfully and willingly lays down everything for you. 
God, I pray that you would cause us to see that you are the better life and the better sustenance, that you are the better livelihood than any job or career or position could ever be. God, I pray that your acceptance and your approval would be more valuable to us than the acceptance and the approval of anyone else. Jesus, we long that you would show us why it's worth being your disciples, why there's nothing that we could give up to follow you that you cannot immensely and immeasurably give us more back in response to. You see, Jesus, I pray that for those who are here this morning, God, who have not yet chosen to follow you, I pray that you would graciously, by your spirit, God, draw them to yourself, just like you drew these four disciples, these four men of Galilee. God, without you, we stand dead in our sin, but with you there is life and joy. And so, God, I pray that you might call people out of death into life this morning. And for all of us who have chosen to follow you, God, I pray that you would empower us each and every day to continue to lay down the things that we have given you authority over. Not to continue to offer at your feet anything else that we would seek to look for other than you. That would keep us from following you, Jesus. We need by your spirit to you, for you to empower that to happen. And so, God, we come with hearts that are so grateful to receive your offer of life but hearts as well that need your spirit's empowering to be able to receive it and to be able to live in light of it. We need you, Jesus, in every way we need you. Thanks you have met us in our need. You are worth following. Amen.